So that video was about what? A minute, minute and a half. We did three of them. It took us three hours to film that because the interns can't say something without laughing. So let's give them a round of applause. They tried their hardest. We love them. They're incredible. But they're not good at making videos. It's okay. But it looked good now, so come on. It's so good to see you all again. It was great to meet so many of you last week and over the past couple weeks. Last week was so incredible as we filled every seat in the house. We had to push people to the back. We had to push people out of here. Come on, somebody. That's good news. That's a good problem to have. We also got to party pretty hard on Friday night for those of you who came to the park. I got to see some of your guys' dance moves, and let me tell you, we can't dance in this place, but we sure love Jesus, so it's okay. I can't dance at all. All I know is Cotton Eye Joe showed up on Friday night, and he was ready to party. <laughs> if you've been here before, I just want to say thank you for coming back. It truly means the world to me that you're here again and that Chi Alpha might become home for you. Even though you may have just gotten here, we already love you so much. And I'm so excited to continue to get to know you better over the next semester, year, four years, or if you're not very good at school, like 10 years. Whatever it takes to keep you around sounds good to me. I am convinced that this group of students right here is the group of students that can and will change the entire planet, starting right here at UNI. I believe every one of you can change the world, and I'm just so excited that I get to sit and watch it happen. For those of you that are new and this is your first time, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you decided to join us tonight, and my prayer for tonight, my hope for you is that you feel at home. Last week, I talked about how I want this place to feel comfortable. I want you to be who you are. I don't want you to feel like when you come here, you have to put on a face or a show, because that's not what Kyle is about. Kyle is about you coming in your real self, the the good, the bad, and the ugly, coming here in this place and being a part of a family that loves you so much. So for those of you who are new, I hope you feel comfortable here. If you need anything at all, please reach out to me. We're here to serve you. We love you so much. I want you to feel welcome no matter what your background is. So just thank you so much for joining us. I am truly honored that you guys decided to join us. As we start off tonight, I wanted to start with sharing a story from my time in high school. For a little background, I played football in high school with my two best friends in the world. They were both much, much bigger than me, like six, six, three-something pounds. They were much bigger and also much better than me at football. For example, one of the two guys went on to become the starting right tackle for Iowa State for like the past three seasons or something. He's trying to go to the NFL. He's way better than I was. And so because we played football, our football coach made us go out for track to try to stay in shape. I hated track, but that's a whole other story. We don't need to get into that. But my friends and I, see, we were linemen, we were pretty big, and we were dirt slow, so we did not run in track, but instead we threw shot put and discus. If you know what that is, that's what we spent our time doing. And our throwing coach, so our main coach, he was super laid back. And to be honest, he didn't really give a rip what we were doing. So during practice, we would do some really stupid stuff, like Remember, we had wrestling tournaments, and I don't know why I did that, because I was destined to lose, but I just wanted to wrestle them. We tried to, like, do UFC without gloves on, like, bare knuckle box. Again, it was dumb. But one day, we made a very stupid decision. See, we were over at the practice field, and in the distance, we saw this huge hill. This sucker had, like, a 40-foot drop. And one of us, and if I'm honest, if I remember right, I think it was me, had the wise idea. You know what would be fun? What if we rolled down that hill in a trash can? So my friends and I, my friends again are bozos as well, so like, oh, let's do it. That sounds like a great time. 
So we go and find a trash can. We empty the trash out, which is disgusting looking back, but we did it. We empty the trash out. We bring the trash can to the hill. And I'm like, what's up? It was my idea. I'm going first. Help me in there. They help me in the trash can. I lay down. I'm so excited to roll down this hill. And they push me down the hill. And like I said, they're huge. They pushed hard. And it took about three seconds, three seconds into rolling, I realized I had made a grave mistake. My head was like, bop, bop, bop on the ground. I was getting cut up and bruised. It hurt so freaking bad. I get to the bottom of the hill, and I'm like, what did I just do? I get out of the trash can. My friends are dying laughing. They're like, oh, idiot, I'm not rolling down the trash can. I look, I'm so scratched. I'm bruised up. It looks like I just got into 10 rounds with a cat, and I lost. And then I realized something. I have to go home now. My parents are going to see me like this, and they're going to ask why I look like this. So I, I get in my car. I drive home. My parents are like, what happened? And in that moment, I thought, I can't tell them the truth. I'm going to look so dumb. So I made the decision. Like I said, my friends were pretty big. And so I was like, Mom, Dad, Bryce and Casey, that was their names. They were so mean to me today at practice. They... They were bullying me and mocking me for being smaller and just telling me I'm not good enough. And they, and they picked me up and they forced me into a, believe it or not, a trash can. And they pushed me down. I did not want to do it. They were bullying me. They were being mean to me. It wasn't my fault, Mom. I promise. It was their fault for being jerks. And then my mom, if you've ever met my mom, you come to Scent Church, you will. She is kind of a feisty lady sometimes. So she's like, no, they did not throw my baby boy down a hill. They get their phone, she gets her phone out, and we were family friends with them, so she gets ready to call their parents. I'm like, crap, they're going to find out. So I'm like, no, Mom, no, you don't need to call them. That's embarrassing. You Don't embarrass me. Uh, 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 it's okay. They already apologized. We're good. You don't need to call them. She's like, nope, I'm calling. So she called, talked to their parents, and eventually it's found out that Derek lied, and it was my idea to roll down the trash can. Hmm. That was not a good day. We find out that I got there on my own, and I just felt so stupid. I felt caught. Not only did I do something stupid and roll down a hill in a trash can, but also I lied about it. I rode the trash can. I rode that trash can hard down that hill, and it was all on me, not their faults. So I think many of us in this room, I bet a lot of us have done something stupid and then gotten caught. We all make decisions that afterwards we look back and we're like, why the heck did I do that? Most of us have probably done something wrong, then either our parents, our teachers, our friends, maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend catches you and you just feel so dumb. I'm convinced that nothing feels worse than getting caught in the middle of a stupid decision and then having to explain yourself why. Like, why did you roll down a hill? I don't know, Mom. It seemed cool in the moment. See, we all screw up from time to time. We do things that we're not proud of. And maybe you're here and that kind of resonates with you. Maybe last week as I was preaching, if you're here you started thinking about all the things you've done that you kind of regret. Maybe you felt like the younger brother of the story we shared, and you said, I've been running from God, I've been making bad decisions, and you just felt shame. Or maybe on the flip side, you related to the older brother, and you realize that you've been struggling with some pride, and that maybe you haven't been following Jesus for the right reasons, and again, you felt shame and just guilt and just felt bad. But see, that's not what Jesus intends for us. He wants more for us than just shame and guilt over our sins and mistakes. Last week, we started our series off, Ready for More, More of Jesus. And I'm convinced that Jesus wants to do more in this season. Something fell. 
This idea of ready for more is going to be our theme all semester long, so you're going to get sick and tired of hearing it, but here's the deal. We want more Jesus in this season. We look around at our world, and we see so much sickness. We see so much brokenness. There's COVID-19. There's racial injustice. There's so many things that are happening, so much hate, and we're crying out, this isn't working, God. We need something else. We need more. So here at Kai Alpha, we're going to be crying out all semester long, Jesus, we are ready for more, and that starts with we're ready for more of you, Jesus. Because if we want to thrive during this season, we have to seek him. If you're here, I think Jesus wants to do more in your life than you could ever imagine. Maybe you've been following him for a while. What Jesus wants for you is he wants to pour more of his spirit, more of himself into your life. He wants to do more through you while you're in college. God has more for you in college than just getting a degree. God has more for you than just getting good grades and passing. If you follow Jesus, God wants to use you to change your dorm, to change your classes, to change your major, and to see the whole campus flipped upside down for the kingdom of God. Maybe you're in this room and you don't follow Jesus, or you never have, or you stopped. And first of all, I want you to know that you're welcome here. I want this place to be a place where you feel comfortable exploring who Jesus is and whether or not you should follow him. Jesus wants to do more with your life as well, though. He wants to give you a purpose and a meaning beyond your wildest dreams. He wants you to feel so loved and so cared for. He wants to show you that even though you are more flawed than you could ever imagine, you are also more loved than you could ever dare dream. That's what Jesus has for you if you're not following him in this place tonight. See, tonight we're going to dive into a story of a woman that when Jesus saw her, he knew he had more for her life than what was going on in that season. This is a story of, like me with the flying trash can, a person who gets caught doing something that they probably shouldn't have, and we get to read the way that Jesus responds to her. So if you have your Bibles with me, if you'll open them up and turn to John chapter 8. John is in the New Testament, so if you just got a new Bible, you're not familiar, it's in like the second half of it. The Bible's in two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, so it's kind of like actually the third of it. And John is one of the four Gospels, and when I say Gospels, I mean the four books that are about the life of Jesus. Those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you're here and you're wanting to start reading your Bible, I challenge you to start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because then you can hear about Jesus. If you do not have a Bible, oh, you're in luck. After service, we got some Bibles out there, we got some Bibles up there, and they're a free gift to you. If you don't have one or if you do not like your current Bible, please go get one. That's why I bought them, for you. I don't need 100 Bibles. I've got my one, and I like it, so they're for you to take. We will also have the passage on the screen. Oh, it's already on there. We'll have the passage on the screen behind me, ready for you to follow along with. When we get to this story... Jesus had already started his work, and his work was he mentored and taught people, kind of did what I did, but in smaller settings. And as he's doing this, as he's teaching about how to live a godly life, the Pharisees, or the Pharisees are kind of like the religious people of his time, they come up to him with this woman. They think they've caught this woman. They got her. They got her red-handed, and she's about to get into some trouble. So we're going to read John 8, 2 through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. All the people came, sat down, taught them. That sounds like a Chi Alpha small group. If you don't know what a Chi Alpha small group is, then you can find out this week. Come on, somebody. Wednesday, Thursday nights, we got Chi Alpha small groups launching. God is going to move. Your small group leader is not Jesus, though, so it won't be as good as this next passage. But they're pretty good, though. Anyways, we imagine it's like a Chi Alpha small group. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, again, the Pharisees, those are the religious people of the time, but something I want to mention about the Pharisees is they seemed very religious. They had it all put together on outside, but on the inside, they were full of hypocrisy. So even though they seemed like they had it all together, they had no idea what it looked like to follow Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Oh, 
And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Oh, the Pharisees thought they have caught Jesus. They got him right where they want him. See, Jesus had been preaching. He'd been preaching about love and forgiveness and grace and compassion. And now they caught a woman who was cheating on her husband or cheating with another guy's husband. We don't know exactly what they were doing. And according to their law, if a woman does this, she should be stoned. So they got Jesus. Jesus, you've got to pick a side between a rock and a hard place. Either you're going to break the law or you're going to kill someone and tell us we should stone them. The Pharisees believed that this woman should be killed for her crimes. They wanted to have Jesus himself condemn her. They wanted this man of love to sentence her to death. Let's see what happens in verse 6. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this story. We thank you for the people in this room, God, that you have a plan beyond their dreams, that you want to do more than they could ever imagine, that we are ready for more, Jesus. I pray that you speak through this message just how much you love our students. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you've got a phone, if you've got a notebook, if you've got an arm or something, you can write something down. This is all you got to write down. You can write down more if you want, but this is the one thing. The one thing I want you to get tonight is this, that Jesus sets you free in order to pursue him. Jesus sets you free so you can pursue him. Jesus sets you free so that you can pursue him. This story starts with Jesus being interrupted with a woman caught in adultery. First of all, one thing I thought of as I'm reading this is, how did the Pharisees catch her in adultery? Like, they probably were looking at something they shouldn't have been looking at. It's like, you know, when it's late at night and you're on Instagram and you're going kind of too deep in Instagram and you see something you shouldn't. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of what it felt like. They've been creeping hard and they saw her caught in adultery. So the story's not starting off strong. Then this woman who was caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. If the woman was caught in adultery, she probably wasn't wearing a whole lot of clothes. And she's drug out to the center of the city, and she's mocked and ridiculed for her sins. This had to be so shameful. I can't imagine what this woman felt like. She had to be horrified. Not only had she messed up, but now everyone knows about it and is seeing her naked. These men had drug her out to Jesus to try to make her feel stupid and less than and to try to punish her for her mistakes. Also, something else I thought about of this is adultery is not a sin one commits by themselves. If you know anything about adultery, it takes two peas in a pod to make that happen. So we're missing half the story. What happened to the guy? I've got one of two thoughts. I think one, maybe the guy saw the Pharisees and the officials coming and he bounced. He said, deuces, I'm running away. I'm not about to get caught. The other option is the Pharisees got there and they saw them doing that and said, you know what? I'm going to focus on the woman's sin man, you're free, you're good to go. So this woman either feels alone, abandoned, ashamed, and left by herself by her man, or she got targeted because of her gender. Either way, I don't think she's feeling too good about this. This man doesn't have to answer, but she does. She must have felt so dirty and so alone. Then Jesus bends down and he writes something in the sand. No one knows what he truly, what he wrote, but there are plenty of guesses. We're not going to dive into that tonight, but if you're looking for a fun rabbit hole, spend some time Googling that. 
He eventually tells the people in verse 7, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And when he says this one by one, these religious people keep walking away because they realize their hypocrisy. They realize that they are all sinful. They've all messed up. And who are they to be judging this woman and trying to condemn her when they have their own shortcomings? Eventually, after they've all left, Jesus looks at the woman and asks her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She responds with, no one, Lord. To which he says, neither do I condemn you. This is absolutely radical. According to the law, this woman deserved death, but Jesus had so much love and so much compassion for her. And he realized the fact that everyone is sinful and everyone had messed up, and he just shows her so much grace. See, Jesus is not a God that is being judgmental and lording things over you, but rather he is a God of love. Jesus is not angry on a hill ready to smite you. Jesus loves you all so, so much. Imagine you've just been ta- caught doing something really stupid. Imagine you cheated on a test and you get caught. So, for example, let's say you walk in, you got all the answers on your arm, the wind comes, they see all the answers on your arm, uh-oh, got caught. I guess that doesn't really make sense anymore since you don't do anything in person. So let's scratch that illustration. Let's go to your dorm room, and let's act like your professor comes and installs a little camera in the corner, and they see you're Googling all the answers, that you're cheating on your online exam, the professor catches you in the act, and they come to you and they say, you know what, I don't condemn you. It's okay. Try not to do it again. That kind of grace is completely foreign. We just don't understand that in our culture, and they definitely did not understand that in their culture. The people that Jesus was talking to would have been shocked when he said this. Jesus was showing such a radical amount of love to this woman. If you're here tonight and you feel shame or guilt because of the decisions you've made, Jesus is looking, looking at you and saying, I do not come with condemnation. He says, I come to you with radical, radical love. John 3.17, which is right after a verse that if you grew up in church, you may have heard of called John 3.16. In John 3.16, that's like the most popular Bible verse in the world. It talks about how God sent us Jesus because he loved us. And that verse is cool, but I think the next verse, actually, I, I like it a little better. Because in John 3.17, what he says is this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We have hope, my friends. We are all very flawed, but if we put our trust in Jesus, when Jesus looks at you, he does not see your mistakes. He does not see how you messed up, but instead, if you are trusting Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees his son. He sees Jesus because Jesus paid the penalty. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your shame. He doesn't see all the ways you screwed up. Instead, he sees his son. Come on, somebody. We have grace in this place tonight. If we trust in Jesus, we have hope. We are not condemned, but instead we have love and grace, and we are saved by the radical love of Jesus. Just like we learned last week, when Jesus came, he took our place. He took the punishment that we deserved. So if you're struggling with shame, what you need to do is you need to trust the sacrifice that Jesus made and view yourself as God views you. How does God view you? He views you as the apple of his eye. You are God's favorite. You're God's chosen creation. You're the beautiful masterpiece that he created. God loves you so much that he does not want you to feel like the woman caught in adultery. Just like that woman, he sees you. He clothes you. He puts his arms around you and tells you that he loves you. He tells you that, I'm sorry that that man left. I'm sorry that you feel alone. I know you feel naked, broken, and ashamed, but I'm here, and I love you so much. Luckily for us, the message doesn't stop there, though. Not only does Jesus come and love you in your sin, he breaks you from it. 
he gives you more freedom. See, verse 11 says this, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Not only does he tell the woman that she isn't condemned, but he commands her to go and sin no more. This might be confusing. The woman might be thinking, wait, I thought I wasn't judged. I thought I was good, but now I have to stop sinning, but you love me? And I think the reason that we can kind of think that way is because I think we read this passage wrong when we read it. Jesus is not saying, all right, woman, I have saved you once. Now go on and sin no more now, or else I'm going to come, I'm going to be angry, we're going to have a fist fight or something. No, Jesus isn't saying it like that. What Jesus says is when he looks at the woman, he says, go and sin no more. He says, go and sin no more with a smile on his face and joy in his heart because he says, you are free now. He is saying, you don't have to sin. He's saying, I'm not mad at you. He's saying, I've broken the chains of sin off your life. You are not captive to that anymore. You have a new reason to live. You do not have to sin anymore because you are free to be who I created you to be. This sin does not have a stronghold on your life anymore. This sin does not control you. This sin does not define you, but you are defined as my daughter. See, when Jesus looks at the adulterer, he says, you are not an adulterer. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are a child of the most high God. So when we are stuck in sin, God doesn't try to get you to stop sinning just to get you to stop doing No, he says, I've got something so much better for you. I've got more for your life. So it's not go and sin no more. It's go and sin no more because you don't have to. You have a new purpose and calling inside of me. Jesus isn't telling this woman that she has to be perfect, but instead he's giving her an alternative. Instead of being captive to her sin, we can come and be in his family. And although we will not be perfect, we will no longer be defined by, my, by our sin. See, he says, you are a new creation. You are not an adulterer. You are my daughter. There's a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. His name is Craig Rochelle, and he gives an illustration that I think fits this perfectly. All right, I want you all, you got to put your thinking, imagining caps on with me. So I want you to imagine we're near the ocean, we're on a beach, and we get a fish, we take it out of the ocean, we put it on the beach. Is that fish happy on the beach? No. Okay. So we roll up, and we got a fat stack of cash. We get it out. We start making it rain all over the fish. Dada dada bill. The Benjamins are flowing on this fish. It's rolling in the dough. Is this fish happy? No. Okay. This one might resonate with some of y'all. Let's imagine we get in the ocean, we start diving, we're in a submarine, and we look for the perfect soulmate for this fish. We're going to find that fish's future spouse, their husband or wife is going to come out of that ocean and be with them on the beach. We find the soulmate. It's perfect. It's so beautiful. They love Jesus. They're everything the fish desired and needed. We bring the fish. We throw it onto the beach with the fish. Are they happy? No, they're not happy. Okay. Well, let's go buy the newest iPhone, like the iPhone 35. It's got 14 cameras on it. We get the iPhone. The fish is like, what's up? Takes a selfie. The fish posts that selfie to Instagram and come on, somebody, that post gets like a million likes. The pic starts trending because, ooh, that fish looks so good. The angle from the picture is perfect. The scales are flowing in the wind. That fish is looking good. And that comment section, oh, the comment section. The other fish are like, mm-hmm. Fish, you look so fine tonight. 
Like, fishy, you fire, you so hot. 10 out of 10, fire emoji, fire emoji. You are looking good. Meet me in the ocean later. Is that fish happy? No. Okay, let's bring the fish a beer. Let's get it some margaritas, maybe a white claw, maybe some weed. Is the fish happy? Maybe for a few moments. But after the effects wear off, the fish isn't quite as happy anymore. That does not satisfy the fish. Okay, let's bring the fish some friends. We go to the ocean, we grab a bunch of fish friends, we throw them on the beach, and we're going to throw the most kicking party in the planet. The music's bumping. They actually know how to dance. These fish are getting wild. Are those fish happy? No, they're probably all dead, but that's besides the point. Finally, let's give the fish a perfect report card. Let's go get it straight A's, baby. That resume is going to look good. We've got the best letter of recommendation. That fish was the president of 35 clubs, the vice president of four, and the secretary of another two. They are in every club. They are perfect. They are going to get the job. We take that beautiful resume. We put it on nice cardstock. We get it. We tape it on the fish. Is the fish happy? No. See, the fish will never be happy because the fish doesn't belong on the beach. It belongs in the water. If you're here and you felt unhappy with things in this world or felt like they don't satisfy, I think we need to lower our expectations of this world. We need to stop putting so much stock into things of this world because you and I, my friends, you and I were not created for this world. We were created for something so much better, so much greater than this world. The things of this world will never be enough because you were created to live for God and by God. You were created to be a son or a daughter of the Most High and to be in obedience to King Jesus. And if you're not doing that, you will not feel fulfilled because you're not doing what you were created to do. We were created with a purpose and an eternal destiny to be the son or daughter of King Jesus. Here's the problem with things of this world. These things, things like partying, social media presence, good grades, money, sex, they all promise happiness. And if we're honest, they come through for a little bit. You might not have thought you were going to hear this tonight, but sin can be pretty fun for a while. (gasps) He said it. I know sin can be fun. Guess what? I've done it. I'm not going to lie to you and say these things aren't fun for a bit because we all know that's not true. It's kind of fun to be greedy and buy new stuff. Like, I would love to get new things. That's fun for me. But see, these sins promise happiness, but they cost you your obedience to God. And that eventually is going to lead to pain for your life. All these things get in the way of why you were created, which is to be obedient to Jesus. See, these things all fade. Everything of this world fades, but Jesus does not Everything in this planet, everything that we have in front of us has an expiration date. I hate to break it to you, but your significant other, that girlfriend you got a week ago that you love so much, they're going to get ugly. They're not going to look good forever. My wife knows. I've already started. Downhill trajectory since the day we got married. I'm just looking worse and worse every day. We pray for her. Guess what? Your bank account's going to go empty. It might be because your kid's draining after you die, but eventually it's going to be empty. Someday your report card is not going to matter. You're going to have the job and it's not going to matter what your grades were. Guess what? I have a full-time job. No one's ever asked me about my grades. The only thing that can satisfy and fulfill is Jesus because Jesus alone is eternal and Jesus alone is why you were created. In the book of Romans, the author Paul puts it this way. In Romans 6, 16 through 18, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, 
or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What Paul is saying here is that we are slaves to something. We are either slaves to our sin or slaves to the king of kings. We all know the power that certain things can have over our lives. If you struggle with addiction, you know it didn't start out as an addiction. It started out as something fun. You did it on the weekend once in a while, and then more and more and more eventually ruled your life because you become a slave to that problem. What Jesus offers, on the other hand, is freedom. When he looks at the woman caught in adultery and he tells her to go and sin no more, that's because he says, I've broken the chain of adultery off your life. You do not need that anymore because you have me. And now she's free to live to him. If she's committing adultery, clearly sex was not satisfying to her. Her sex and her romance were not enough to satisfy her life, so she wanted to get more and more and more, and it was never enough. Maybe this affair started as just hearting his Instagram posts, just a little like. That's how it started. Then she started commenting, and then she hopped in the DMs, and then he messaged her and said, how are you? And she said, I'm good, good to see you. Then they started FaceTiming, and then they both opened up about how their marriage isn't satisfying, and my husband stinks, and eventually just kept going more. Then they just started holding hands, and they kissed, and they made out, then they're doing the funky town stuff they shouldn't be doing together, and they crossed every boundary they should because it was never enough. She kept seeking more and more and thinking, maybe if I just do that, that'll satisfy. Maybe if I just get a little bit more, that'll satisfy. Maybe if I just get a little more, and guess what? It never worked, and it's never going to work for you. We will never have enough because only Jesus offers the true freedom and satisfaction in your life. See, we must submit to him and live a life of obedience to him if we want any chance of a fulfilling life because nothing else will work. So Jesus has told us to go and sin no more. Does this mean that we're never going to have fun? that we're destined to be robots of obedience to Jesus. Yes, my captain. No. He wants you to have fun. He just wants you to have fun with him. Holiness and obedience can be the most fun and rewarding thing on the planet. I think sometimes, listen up. Listen to this one. I think sometimes we worry that if we give up our sin, we won't be happy, and I just can't imagine life without it. For me, that was video games. I had to play video games every day, and I thought if I didn't play video games, I was not going to be happy. I wasn't going to feel good. I just can't give it up. But then I started spending time with Jesus every day, and that was way more satisfying and way better, way better for my soul and way more fun. Maybe you think if you don't party, you won't have fun, you won't meet friends, and you won't get the college experience. Guess what? The college experience isn't all it's cracked up to be. But you can have fun. You can meet friends. Just do it here. See, we had fun on Friday night. We had the bubblies were flowing, the non-alcoholic bubblies is raspberry, and it tastes so good to my soul. Come on, somebody. And we had fun. You can have fun and meet friends and live a good college life in this community. Maybe you think that if you don't get out of that sinful, or if you get out of that sinful relationship, if you dump him or her, that you're never going to find a spouse. That there's no one else out there. I've been with this person for so long. There's no one else that can be good enough. There's no one else it's either this person or bust. That is a lie from the pit of hell. If you're in a sinful relationship in this place, I want you to know that God has so much more for you. God has a godly spouse waiting for you. 
God has so much more. Guess what? We're ready for more because Jesus can do more. Jesus can do more than your loser boyfriend. Jesus has big things in store for you. God has so many good things, and he wants us to find joy. He has so much better for us. We just trust him. I promise you it'll work. He wants us to find fulfillment, but he's smart enough. Jesus is smart enough to know the only way we can possibly be fulfilled and satisfied is by doing what he asks. He wouldn't ask us to do it if it didn't work. God is smarter than all of us. Here's an example. Sex can obviously become a sin if it's outside of marriage. It can lead to so much destruction, hurt, pain, sickness, and sex can have such a stronghold on your life. I'm about to make you feel uncomfortable. But when sex is done in the place that God created it to be, which is marriage, it is very fun, and it's a good time. Can I get an amen from the married people in the room? Come on. Amen. I got like two. Thank you. Come on. I know I just made you all feel weird. Like it's the second week. I don't want to hear about that from the pastor. But sex in the right context is fun, but it's not fun when we're doing it in the wrong context because it brings so much destruction and so much pain. It has so much baggage that comes along with it. But God wants us to have fun, but he wants us to do it in the right boundaries and the right trajectory that he has created for our lives. Okay, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm supposed to stop doing these sins that kind of like control my life and they have a hold on me. You're saying, I gotta stop doing those things and I can still have fun? And live a life that's pleasing to God. How do I do all that? See, how does the woman caught in adultery leave her life of adultery? First of all, she must go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and say, Jesus, will you please set me free? Because only he has the power to break the chains off your life. So first we must do that. But next we need help. And I think the best way to receive help, to grow closer to Jesus, to release the chains of sin off of our lives, and, and to have fun is in small groups. Yeah, come on, somebody. This week, we're starting small groups. And although we're not going to talk a ton about community tonight, I want to give you a little context before we get started. Here's the thing. I promise you that you're struggling with something. If you're struggling with some sin issue, or if you're trying to find out if you even want to follow Jesus, you're not sure yet, or if you're just looking for friends, or maybe looking for fun, small groups are the place to do it. These leaders will love you so much, and they just want to help you on your journey. See, Jesus looks at you, and just like the woman, he says, go and sin no more. But instead of being left alone, when Jesus says to you, go and sin no more, imagine someone pops up with a Kai off a shirt and a name tag. Hi, how are you? I'd like to help you out. That's your small group leader. Because they love you and they want to help you on this journey. I got some giggles. There we go. Small group is a place where you're surrounded by people that might also be struggling with the same things you are and they can relate. I know for me when I got to my first small group, all the guys were all opened up were like, yeah. We do things we shouldn't, and they're like, wait, me too. And we're like, oh, we have friends that are in the same boat. You have people that are new to college. You have some people that have been in college for a while, and they can help you out. You have people that are your same age, your same gender, and they just want to be your friend. Being in a small group helped my walk with Jesus so much. It kept me encouraged. Those guys loved me so well, and they gave me the best friends on the stinking planet. Please connect with one of our small group leaders. Please connect with one of our small group leaders. I promise you, you will not regret it. You guys would stand with me and the worship team, if you'll come on up. See, I believe that there are plenty of people in this room tonight that feel just like the woman caught in adultery. Maybe you were here last week and you just left feeling so ashamed because of your sin. Maybe tonight's your first night you've ever been here. And as we talk about 
going to other things to find happiness, like money, sex, grades, all those things, that resonates with you, and you're like, snap, that's me. Maybe you've started your college career off partying way too much. Maybe you're in a relationship that isn't honoring to God, and that is certainly not God's best for you, and then you say, we're not going to screw up this time, but then you screw up again, and you feel so shameful. Then you say, we're not going to do it, but then you screw up again, and then you feel shame, and you're in this endless cycle of, I'm not going to screw up, God, I promise, and then you do it again, and then you say, I'm not going to screw up, and then you do it again and you feel so much shame and brokenness over this cycle. Maybe you have an addiction to pornography that you've never told anyone about, and your biggest fear is that someone's going to find you out and find that you have this struggle. Maybe you try to numb the pain of life with drugs, alcohol, or something as simple as video games and Netflix. Maybe you just so badly want to appear like you have it all together that you spend hours crafting the perfect Instagram post. See, I think a lot of us have been trying to find fulfillment through things that are not God. Maybe you feel just like the woman caught in adultery. Maybe you feel underclothed. You feel embarrassed. You feel shame. And in this moment, you feel like Jesus is looking right at you. When Jesus looks at you, he is not disgusted. Jesus doesn't think you're dirty. He's not angry. He's not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. But instead, when he looks at you, he says, you know what? That simply will not do. I'm not going to let them continue to be in their sin and to keep trying to find fulfillment in the world when I have something so much better. When he looks at you, he just wants to love you. See, Romans 5.8 says this, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ did not just die for you when you're reading your Bible. Jesus did not just die for you when you're coming to Kyle for a small group. Jesus died for you when you're in your room at midnight looking at things you shouldn't be. Jesus died for you when you're drunk on the hill. Jesus died for you when you're making mistakes with your boyfriend or girlfriend because Jesus loves you so much no matter where you're at. So if you're in this place tonight and you're feeling shame, Jesus is saying, you don't need to feel shame because I love you so much. Come and live a life with me and go and sin no more. Because when Jesus looks at you and he sees you trying to find fulfillment in the world, he says, you know what? I've got something so much better for you. This Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. And when he came to earth, he knew you were going to mess up. He came and lived a perfect life so that we didn't have to. He died on a cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. He knew that we would struggle, but he loved us so much. And he wanted to be with us so badly that he counted the cost He took our pain, took our punishment, and he said, I'm going to pay the penalty for them. And he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave once and for all. So now that we can live to him. What do we have to do? We need to look at Jesus and say, I want more of that. We need to look at Jesus and say, you are the only way. You are my only hope. Jesus, please forgive me. Thank you for paying my price. I trust you, Jesus, with my life. I'm done trying to run my own life. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom because you are going to do a better job than I did. And when we do that, we're set free. He breaks the hold that our mistakes can have over us. He defeats shame. He defeats sin. He defeats guilt. And he covers us with himself. We do not have to feel shame anymore in this place, but instead we need to go and sin no more because we are free. Sin no more because you're free. We cannot keep pursuing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. That is the definition of insanity, is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting something to change. Guess what? It's not going to change. 
If we keep partying, sleeping around, seeking internet success, we are going to continue to feel unfulfilled. My challenge for you tonight is this. Try something new. Here's what I want. Here's my challenge. Give me one year. Say, I'm going to spend the 2020-2021 school year pursuing Jesus. I'm going to give him one school year and see what happens. Give Jesus one school year and see what happens because I promise you he's going to blow the lid off your expectations. I promise that you're going to find satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness like you've never felt before because Jesus is good and Jesus has more for you than partying. Jesus has more for you than the sins of your life. Give him one year. Give him, give him a semester. Give him a week and see what he does in a week because Jesus is better than everything in this world. Just like the fish, we do not belong on the beach. We belong in the stinking ocean. And if you jump in the ocean, you're going to live a life that you never imagined. You're going to be so happy that you did. My challenge for you tonight is this. Try Jesus for fulfillment and watch what happens. And I promise you it's going to work. I promise you it's going to work. It won't be perfect. Oh, living a life following Jesus is not perfect. There's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of things that aren't that fun. But I promise you it's worth every minute of it. Because here's the thing. I know that Jesus sets you free so that you can pursue him. Jesus sets you free so you can pursue him. So in this place tonight, I feel like there might be some chains on our lives, some things that have a hold in our lives. And Jesus is looking at him. He says, I want to take that chain. I want to snap it over my knee. So we're going to give God this opportunity. But before we do that, something we do every week at Kyle is I want to ask you guys two questions. So everyone will close their eyes bow their heads if you're in this place tonight and if you're honest with yourself you're not following Jesus right now maybe you did once and you've stopped or maybe you've never followed Jesus at all and you want to give it a try and you want to look at Jesus and say thank you for paying my penalty thank you for taking my punishment I'm coming in I'm all in Jesus if you want to do that I'm going to count to three and when I get to three, I want you to raise your hand. And the reason I'm asking you to raise your hand is not so people can see. That's why I have everyone close their eyes. It's because sometimes Jesus wants us to do an act of obedience. And I think that act of obedience is raising our hand and saying, God, I'm coming. So that's you. And you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life to Jesus and change the way you live. I'm going to count to three. And please raise your hand. One, two, three. Tons of hands coming up in this place. Tons of hands coming up in this place. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. You can put your hands down. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the new members of the kingdom. God, I thank you for every son and every daughter that has become a part of your family tonight, Jesus, because you are good. I thank you that you break the chains of sin off of our life, and you give us a new destiny. You give us an eternal purpose, and you give us a way to live, Father. I pray for everyone in this room who just raised their hand that they put their trust in you and that this is not just about one moment, God. I pray that it's not just about tonight and feeling this emotion and they go back to their dorm and they go back to normal, God. But this is gonna be about a new normal because we're ready for more of you, Jesus. And I pray for their lives to be forever changed because of tonight. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. If you guys will keep your eyes shut, keep your heads bowed. I got one more question. And this is for those of you who follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus and if you're honest with yourself, You've been kind of trying to seek fulfillment and satisfaction from different things besides Jesus, and you want him to break some chains off your life. If you want Jesus to break some chains off your life, lift up both hands right now and say, Jesus, I'm coming. Say, Jesus, break these chains. Just lift your hands to him and say, Jesus, I'm ready. Say, Jesus, I want more. I want more of you, God. Break chains off of my life. I'm going to pray for you as well. 
Jesus, I thank you that you are the chain breaker, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and you are the king of kings, and you have control and dominion over every sin and every struggle in this place, God, that we do not have to find fulfillment through things in this world because you are a good God, because you love us so much, Jesus. I pray for every person in this room tonight that they encounter your presence, God, and they go all in. And tonight is not a one-night experience, but instead it is a world-changing moment in their life that you change forever. You change their destiny, God, that you break chains off their life, and you give them a new normal, God, because we are ready for more at the University of Northern Iowa. We are ready for more in Chi Alpha. We are ready for more in each student in this place's life, God, that you're going to do more in their lives than they could ever imagine because you are the chain breaker and you're the only key to fulfillment, God. We love you so much, Jesus. In your precious name, amen.